Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Today's scripture is, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Romans 8.32, this is the word of the Lord. Michelle, thank you for doing our reading today. Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord to speak to us through his message? Let's pray. Lord, you are the great gift giver, the one who has given us the perfect gift, the one who has given us the gift that's fit for all, given us that gift at the right time, a gift that keeps on giving for all eternity, and for that we give you thanks. Lord, as we celebrate this Advent season by giving one another gifts, we pray that our focus would remain on you, and we realize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Lord, we think of those who are hurting those who have not experienced your gift, those who have experienced your gift but don't feel the joy of the season, and we pray for them. We pray that your spirit would minister, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christmas, would minister to those who need a special touch at this time. We're mindful of those who are suffering emotionally and spiritually and mentally and physically, and we pray that they might encounter the Christ. Lord, as we look into your word now, we invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher I ask that he'd speak through me words that are true and comforting and also are challenging, that we might live more like the Lord Jesus Christ lived. And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. The definition of the word peculiar is peculiar. <laughs> Its primary definition is odd. Not that it has an odd definition, but the definition of peculiar is odd. It's also strange. Are you confused yet? There's still time. <laughs> and that is the primary way the word peculiar is used. It is used to mean strange or something that's odd, but we're going to be looking at another definition of the word, word peculiar that makes it even more peculiar in just a little bit. But in that first sense of being odd or strange, we can say that Advent is peculiar. In other words, Christmas is a little bit odd. It's a little bit strange. I mean, think about it. We, we tell our children that there's this wonderful, loving man who has had no beginning and no end, who comes from the heavens to give them gifts, and his name is Santa Claus. And then we tell the same children, there's another loving man who has no beginning and no end, who comes from the heavens to give him the greatest gift, and his name is Jesus. And what's even more peculiar or perhaps confusing to our children is our children have actually seen the first man. They have seen Santa Claus numerous times, but they have never seen the other man, Jesus. And so, when they are six or seven or maybe eight years old, 
they discover that Santa Claus isn't real. That you've been lying to them. And then when they turn 16 or 17 or 18, they begin to wonder if this second man, Jesus, is real. And they wonder if maybe you've lied about him too. The things that we teach and celebrate at Christmas are, I would say, peculiar. I mean, there's Santa who's always watching us, like he's omnipresent, and he's looking to see if we were naughty or nice. And then there's Jesus, who's omnipresent, who's always watching us to see if we're naughty or nice. And Santa decides that he'll reward you if you're nice and punish you if you're naughty. And we're told that Jesus will reward you if you are nice and punish you if you're naughty. And I find this peculiar, odd, strange that we adults work so hard to confuse our children. (laughs) Parallel stories at Christmas and one is true and one is not. And I think that's odd. Strange, (laughs) peculiar. Now, lest you think this is a bash Santa Claus sermon, (laughs) it's not. I mean, just because you can rearrange the letters in Santa to spell Satan, I don't think that's significant. (laughs) I'm, I'm all for imagination and fantasy and hope. Those are good things. I'm just saying, I think it's a very strange, a very peculiar, a very odd way that we celebrate the Advent. But that's not the most peculiar part of Advent. Before we look at the more peculiar part, let's do a little review. On the first Sunday of Advent, we talked about the plan of salvation. And if you haven't picked it up yet, all these are starting with a P. We looked at the plan of salvation, and we saw it is the only plan, and it is the best plan that God came up with to send Jesus Christ to be born and to live and to die for us and to live again. And then at the second Sunday of Advent, we looked at the purpose of Advent. And we saw that the main purpose of Advent is a changed heart. And so we shouldn't try to go around improving on Christmas. We should let Christmas improve on us. And we should celebrate Christmas by talking about Jesus, not just about ourselves and our presence. And today we come to the third Sunday of Advent, and the title is The Peculiarity of Advent. Christmas is peculiar. It's odd. It's strange. I mean, think about it. A jolly, overweight, perpetually old man flies through the air on a flying sleigh pulled by flying reindeer, and they don't even have wings. I mean, that's peculiar. And so is an all-powerful, an all-knowing creator of the world becoming a fetus and having to learn everything all over again, even how to eat and to do other things. That's peculiar. It's odd. It's strange. But the word peculiar doesn't just mean odd or strange. It has another definition. It also can mean special, as in unique. 
Look with me how the apostle Peter describes those of us who follow Jesus in 1 Peter 2.9. I'm going to be reading from the King James Version, the version that the apostle Peter himself used. I'm joking, okay? (laughs) So here it is. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. So far, so good. So far, we like it. And then he says, a peculiar people. (laughs) So maybe your non-Christian family members are right about you. (laughs) You're peculiar, it says here. And there it is, in black and white, in holy writ, you are a peculiar people. You're odd. It's biblical. (laughs) But the word peculiar also has another meaning, which I mentioned. It can mean special or unique. And that is why the New International Version, when it translates this verse, translates it this way. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Not just peculiar, but special so, if you're taking notes, here's where you get to write some things down on your outline. If you're watching online, they're available on a website. If you're in the room, they're available by the doors. Number one here, just like Christmas, you are peculiar. That means you are odd and you are special. Just like Christmas, you are peculiar, you are odd, and you are special. Non-Christians think that Christians are odd when it comes to their views about sexuality, morality, fidelity, and they think we're odd, and that's a good thing that they do. Non-Christians think that Christians are odd, that they would tithe of their income, that they would not cheat on their taxes. They think that's odd, and that's a good thing. It's peculiar to fight for the unborn and make a stand for the unborn. It's peculiar not to gossip about a coworker. It's peculiar to believe in a literal Adam and Eve, a literal creation, to not believe in evolution. That's peculiar. It's odd. It's strange. It's peculiar to be a Christian. Meaning it's odd, it's strange, and it is special. Just like Christmas, you are peculiar, you're odd, and you're special. I'd like to expand on that to show you how special you are. In the first part of Ephesians 2.10, the first part of that verse, it says, speaking of us Christians, for we are his workmanship. His workmanship. You're his handiwork. And as a sign on my friend's little girl's door used to say, God doesn't make junk. Oh, you may feel junk. You might feel lousy. You may feel worthless. You may feel hopeless. But your feelings do not determine your value. What determines your value is what God says about you. And he says you're valuable. Which is the second thing in your notes there, number two, you're valuable. Why? Because God makes you valuable. You're valuable because God makes you valuable. You are his workmanship. 
Perhaps you've heard that that word workmanship in Ephesians 2.10 comes from the Greek word, which I'll mispronounce so you can understand it better, is poema. And poema, we get our word poem from. Now, you always have to be careful when a pastor takes an English word and reads it back into the Greek. That's backwards. You can't do that. You can't say you're a poem just because we use that word as poem. But you can if you know Greek and you know the Greeks use the word poema both in ancient Greek, Greece, and modern Greece to mean poem. <laughs> so it does mean poem. <laughs> you are a work of poetry that God has put together. There is harmony. There is rhyme, perhaps. There is meaning to your life. And you may not see it at the beginning, but by the time you get to the end and see the whole poem that is made of your life, it's going to make sense. You're valuable to God. He's the one that made you. He's the one that makes you valuable. From your mother's womb, he knew you. The world judges value based on performance, what you can do. Your athletic ability or how smart you are, your grades, where you graduated from, or how much money you made, or the size of your house or your other possessions. All things that are worldly and temporal and someday are all going to be lost. But God's valuation of who you are is based on what God has done for you, what God has done in you, and what God has done to you, and what God is doing with you. They're not on the screen, but listen to these verses. It says in Genesis 1.27, you are created in his image. What kind of creation are you? Well, you're God-like in some ways. You're not a God, but you have some of his characteristics, his image. Ephesians 2.10, we saw that you are his poem, his workmanship. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we understand that you are a new creature. When you come to know Jesus Christ, old things have passed away. And perhaps Romans 5.8, one of my favorite verses, says it the best about your value. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Looking at that verse, realize... To denigrate your own value is to denigrate the value of Jesus himself. Because Jesus gave himself for you because you are so valuable. You're that valuable that God would give his son to die for you. And if you denigrate yourself, you're denigrating Jesus and what he's done. No one is more or less valuable because of their gender because of their intelligence or lack of it, because of their athletic prowess or lack thereof. No one is more valuable because of their so-called race, even though we all are of the same race and one blood. We're all valuable because God makes each one of us valuable. But there's a peculiar thing about your value that you need to understand. The peculiar thing about the value, about you being special to God, is that before you can recognize your true value before God, you must always also recognize your true patheticness before God. Because it says, while we were yet sinners, while we were pathetic, 
while we were worthless and sinful. We were evil. We were lost. We were wicked. Yes, we were naughty. We were not nice. That's when Christ died for us. You see, the peculiar thing about recognizing you are special is that you must first recognize that you are not. Let me say that again. The peculiar thing about recognizing you are special is that you must first recognize that you are not. The Apostle John puts it this way in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 17. Revelation 3, 17, he says, You say, I'm rich. I become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Until you realize that it isn't the world that makes you special, that it isn't your stuff that makes you special, that it isn't your effort that makes you special. Until you recognize that it is God and God's efforts and God's gift that makes you special. Until you realize that, you have completely overvalued yourself and undervalued God. You are valuable because God makes you valuable. Now, there is another peculiar thing about Christmas, about Advent. On the calendar, Christmas comes and goes. Oh, we try to stretch it out, that 24-hour Christmas day, to stretch it out for maybe two days or three days, maybe a week. If you're on Christmas vacation, which they now call holiday vacation, it's still Christmas vacation, whatever you call it, you might stretch out Christmas for two weeks. Some of you try to make it last three or four and leave your decorations up long past when they should have come down. But invariably, Christmas ends, and the excitement of the season ends, and the joy of the season is gone. But the true Christmas season, the true Christmas gift that God gives, the true Christmas experience is nothing like that. And that's the third thing I want to mention today, number three on your notes. God's Christmas gift keeps on giving. God's Christmas gift keeps on giving. It would certainly be enough if Jesus came and lived and died and lived again to forgive you of your sins. <laughs> and he said, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Did my part. That would be enough. But there's more than that. His gift is absolutely amazing because it keeps on giving. One of the most spectacular passages of Scripture is in Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God the Father already did the greatest thing of giving us his son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sins, how will he not also give us 
everything else in comparison. It's not one and done. It's not one Christmas present, Jesus, your sins are forgiven, and that's it. It's Jesus plus the kingdom of God forever. It's Jesus plus the joys of heaven forever. It's Jesus plus eternal life. And I think we often misunderstand what eternal life means. Eternal is a word that is not just quantitative, it is also qualitative. In other words, you don't just live forever in that body with its defects and heartaches and sorrows and aging. You live forever in a body that has been made wonderfully perfect in every way. It's not just quantitative of life. Who wants to live forever like this? We live forever in a beautiful, resurrected, perfect body without sorrow, without heartache, without tragedy, filled with joy, sinless, guilt-free. God's gift at Christmas keeps on giving forever and ever. It's Christmas forever. It never ends. There's an ancient Greek mythology that teaches that there was a goddess by the name of Eos, and Eos fell in love with a mere mortal by the name of Tithinos. And Eos, the goddess who lived forever, wanted to be in love forever with this mortal Tithinos. So she asked Zeus, the main god, the chief of the gods, to give Tithinos immortality. And Zeus did. But Eos forgot to ask for eternal youth. And so Tithinos continued to age and to get weak. And yet he could not die. Immortality is a curse. unless you are changed into Christ's likeness forever. And that is eternal life. That is the gift that God gives to us, not just an immortal life, an eternal one filled with a quality of perfection, youthfulness, and sinlessness. It is a Christmas gift that keeps on giving. I want to ask you, have you received this peculiar gift? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you acknowledged your faith in him and what he's done for you? That's how you receive the gift of eternal life. I'd like to ask you to pray with me. If you'd bow your heads, even if you're watching us online, so you can have a private moment between you and God. Do you want eternal life? Do you want to live forever in perfection? Not, not in the way you are now, but perfection. There's one road. There's one way. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father's house except through him. If you've never received Christ in your life, I give you this opportunity now in this quiet moment to do so.
You can express it in your heart to Jesus, something like this. Lord Jesus, I believe what you did for me on the cross. You paid for my sin. You rose from the grave. You conquered death. I want you in my life. I choose to follow you. Come into my life. Lead me. Guide me. Save me. Lord, what a gift. Thank you for this gift you've given to us. Lord, help us to be quick to speak of Jesus this Advent season so others can experience the gift of eternal life through him. We pray this through Jesus, our Lord. Amen.